Last week, if you were with us, we took one week to look at the idea of growing together in Christ from Hebrews chapter 10. This morning, we're going to take this week to look at serving together in Christ. And so if you have your Bible this morning, let me invite you to open up to the New Testament book of 1 Peter. We'll be in 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 11 this morning. 1 Peter 4 and 7 through 11, as we consider serving together in and around Christ. Uh, Even this week, I will tell you as you're opening your Bibles, I have been blessed, challenged, and encouraged to see ways that our church family has served one another in some official and in some behind-the-scenes sort of ways. Um, I had a brother who reached out to me at the beginning of this week and was inquiring about another brother in our church and said, I know that he's going through a lot. How can I specifically serve him? I love that question, just an open-ended, how can I serve? How can I get involved? Um, I am thankful for many of you families who opened up your homes for the first time this last week and began meeting together as city groups. Thank you for serving by opening up your home uh, and opening up your life to us, one another being together. Um, I saw 21 youth gather in one of our homes to be discipled this week, and I'm thankful for those adult leaders who played games who shared God's Word, and who tried to make it practical in their lives. That is an incredibly important role of service and ultimately of discipleship. Uh, I saw another family who in our church this week hosted an impromptu Kona ice party in the driveway, and four or five of our church families got to get together and in the heat of the day just enjoy some awesome fellowship and more importantly, Kona ice together. But I love those moments of just being able to serve and in some way care for one another. Um, I had a number of sisters in the Lord, particularly this week, who were sharing up to the minute, in the moment, important prayer requests. Um, This has been a week for prayer needs, and and it makes my heart heavy as I see people who are suffering here locally and, and around the world, but it encourages me to know that we have a good and loving Father and that our people want to pray for and care for and serve one another in prayer. Um, I personally was served uh, this week by uh, a brother who said, listen, I know that you have come early for the last two years. I want to give you this month and maybe even next month off so that you can come later and be more prepared. He didn't have to do that, but in that way, he served me personally, and it's been a blessing. Um, Many, many of you serve me in a really special way. As most of you are aware, um, I was in the middle of my COVID quarantine on July 25th, which is also my birthday, which is also a Sunday morning. And um, so Alana, behind the scenes, organized all of you, and you guys gave me a happy birthday parade around the neighborhood and drove by and sang me happy birthday and threw... Uh, birthday presents at me, and I even got two uh, musical renditions. Mike played his saxophone, Happy Birthday, which was amazing, and many of you saw online when Davidson gave me his trumpet rendition of Happy Birthday, which we are all still recovering from, so it was that amazing. If you haven't seen it, go on our Facebook page. It will change your life. Um, I got a text this week from another uh, lady in our church who said, I see there's a new members class coming up. How can I help? How can I serve? Um, I love when I get emails back this last month uh, when we mentioned that we would be serving lunch to the staff at Bayside High School, and many people responded and said, how can I get involved? And you came and you served. 
I'm thankful for the 30-plus people that came early this morning before 10 a.m. ever hit, 8.15 and 8.30 and 9.15 and 9.40, all these moments when you guys come and you serve and you enable all of us to gather together in the presence of a holy God, and what you do is incredibly important. So thank you for the ways that you have served whether that be leading us in worship up here from the platform or leading us in worship from the back at the tech table, whether that be keeping us safe and secure throughout the service or those teachers and assistant teachers who are now helping with all of our kids. Uh, last week, we had 25 kids in City Kids. We had 12 kids in Toddler Town and I think five or six in Neighborhood Nursery. Um, we can't keep up some weeks. It is a wonderful problem to have. Um, but it is a challenge that we want to step into and care for our kids well and teach them the scriptures. Uh, I'm thankful for so many of you, the ways that you have served brothers and sisters around the world that you will probably never see face to face, whether that be stepping into praying for believers in Afghanistan or, or Cuba um, or Haiti or just the general population there that we know is going through some horrific things and we're asking God to help uh, to reach out to them and do for them what we cannot possibly on our own do. But it's that heart to serve that leads us to pray. It's that heart to serve that leads us to say, how can I get involved in something that maybe I don't know exactly what to do, but Lord, my heart and my life are open and I want to be used by you. I hope that this morning's passage of scripture will further educate us, enlighten us, and challenge us, um, expand our vision for what it means to serve specifically within the family of Jesus Christ. Let's look to 1 Peter chapter 4 this morning, beginning in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Bet you didn't expect that as the beginning, but there it is. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's take a moment and let's pray to that glorious King and Lord now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And God, we are encouraged by it. We are challenged by it. Father, would you fill our hearts and lives by your word, by your Holy Spirit this day. Thank you that Jesus is the chief servant. He has done for us what we cannot do ourselves. And we pray that out of that amazing love that we might love and serve one another. It is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Four very practical ways this morning from the Scripture to serve together in Christ. As we walk through these four verses, it becomes very obvious. Number one, think rightly about the times so you can pray. Think rightly about the times so you can pray. We all understand that the end of all things is either going to be really good news or really bad news for every single person, not just in this room, not just in this city, but around the world. We know that Christ's return to earth brings either eternal life in a real place called heaven 
or eternal judgment in a real place called hell. If you have asked Jesus to be your Savior, the end of all things should hold no fear for you because it will be a glorious day. It will be a day when sin and sorrow cease, and it will be a day when you see the Lord Jesus face to face, and it will be a day when we go home to be with Jesus. Oh, what a wonderful day that it will be. And if you have never asked Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior, my prayer for you that even this very day, that as you hear the confidence and the hope and the joy that the Scripture gives us about knowing Jesus as it relates to the end, that it might make you go, this is what I need more than anything else in this life is to know Jesus and have that confidence about the end. That you can know that you can have eternal life this very day. Because here's the reality from what Peter is telling us. The end of all things, as he says, is about living in the reality of Jesus' resurrection and anticipating Jesus' return. Living in light of these end times that Peter is speaking about is about remembering the reality that Jesus has already resurrected from the dead and anticipating that he will one day return. Look at the very beginning of 1 Peter with me. This is in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Peter gets us started in this book by saying this, "'Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ.'" According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. If we go to the next chapter, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, Peter calls us as believers, he calls us travelers. He calls us exiles. He calls us foreigners in our relationship to this world because he is telling us this world is not our home. This is a temporary place. Our home is with Jesus, and one day he will take us home to return and be with him. If we look at the Greek here in this phrase, the word end, when Peter says the end, it is the Greek word telos. Telos does not just mean a single moment that you can put a, a dot on. Telos means the final stage of a process with an outcome. Telos, the final stage of a process with an outcome. We live, says Peter, in the final stage, what we often refer to from Scripture as the already and the not yet. Jesus has already won. Did you hear what I said? Jesus has already resurrected from the dead, but he has not yet returned to take us home. And so we live in this unique era of human history that is a blip on, on God's eternal expansive history where we are in the already and the not yet. And this is what he means when he says the end of all things. We live in this era awaiting the consummation and return of Jesus and his redemptive plan to be completed. Living with the end in mind, guys, according to Peter, should not drive us to an alarmist Christianity. It should drive us to a normal Christianity. What does Peter say? He says, be self-controlled and sober-minded. It's a nice way of saying, don't lose your mind. Don't lose your mind. Every time there is a crisis in the Middle East, like we have again right now, 
There will be people who will fill the airwaves with their predictions about the end times and will claim that they know the day and the hour that Christ will return or the day and the hour that the world will end. Let me be clear, they don't. They don't know. I remember the last time that John Hagee claimed to know the date based on blood moons in 2014. Maybe you'll recall this. Uh, Alan and I were walking through downtown St. Augustine that very night past many a people who were carrying signs letting us know that this date was the end of the world. The world is going to end tonight. It didn't. Their sign was incorrect. Why? Peter is giving us something instructive. He says, be sober-minded. Don't get drunk on the fairy tales and the imagination and false claims and ideas of people who will distract you from what is actually written clearly in God's Word to direct your daily life. Do not listen to the news. Listen to the Word of God. Juan Sanchez, in his commentary on this verse, says this, We are not to lose our minds. We are to think clearly. We're not to withdraw from society. We're to proclaim God's excellencies. We're not to panic. We are to pray. It is an interesting connection that when we step back, we go, oh, that makes a lot of sense that Peter is giving us here, that awareness of our position in God's story should lead us to pray and ask that on behalf of God's people that he would care for his people, that he would use us to do that, and that he, by his power, would reach those who have not experienced his love and grace yet and that he would use us to do it. Jesus, again, has conquered death and sin so that through him, we can too. This amazing free gift leads us to pray. God is saying, ask for more. I have it. Ask for more. And we may do this prayer in a world that is certainly hostile to the gospel. In some places more than in other places. But it reminds us, guys, that our hope is not in earthly comforts. Our hope is in our heavenly future with Jesus. I hope that if the Lord has not made you uncomfortable in the last year and a half, that he will, by his grace, to remind you that earthly comforts will not last. And they will not comfort the way that knowing that your heavenly future is secured in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And let that direct our prayers towards brothers and sisters this week and in the weeks to follow in places like Afghanistan, that we are praying for their comfort, that God would come alongside of them, and we are praying that they would be refreshed in the reality that their ultimate home is in heaven. I think that those believers this morning are praying Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. We should be lifting them up, and we should be listening and learning from them. The Bible says the end of all things is the victory, not the defeat. The end of all things is the victory of Jesus Christ, and it gives us power to think clearly and pray. Number two, Peter is very clear. Number two, he says, love one another earnestly with a love that covers sin. I did not make it up. God wrote it here for us. Love one another earnestly with a love that covers sin which might immediately drive you to this question. How do I love people in my church? How do I love fellow Christians when they are hypocrites? 
Because the world asks this question, and it's a, it's a reasonable question. How do I love fellow believers? How do I love the people in my church if they let me down? If they say they're going to do one thing and they do another thing, when they do bad things in general, how am I supposed to love these people in my family that are just unlovable sometimes? Look to the Scripture. One reason, one reason only. 1 John chapter 4. We love because He first loved us. That's it. We love because He first loved us. The only way we can love brothers and sisters in Christ or anyone else in the world is to be filled with and experience the love of Jesus Christ for ourselves. See, the way that we tend to do life outside of Christ is this. If you hurt me, I will hurt you back. If you want love, you better do something to earn that love. But Christ comes into the world and flips that on its head. When Romans 5, 8 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There was nothing lovely about us. There was nothing lovable about us. We put Jesus on the cross and yet Jesus chose to love us. And he wasn't surprised when we acted the way that we did. We didn't deserve his love. But he came to this earth and loved you. We rejected him, but he willingly went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. As we talked about in the last few weeks, there is a separation. Sin separates us from God, and Jesus in love came and eliminated that separation by dying on the cross and paying the penalty for us. And notice, Jesus did not ignore our sin. He did not deny our sin. He covered it. By his death on the cross. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that's why Peter is saying to us as believers, follow Jesus' example and live a love that covers sin. Now let me be very clear here again. Love that covers sin does not mean conceal it. It doesn't mean deny it. It doesn't mean ignore it. It means forgive it through what Jesus has done. Peter is directly, directly referencing a verse in the Old Testament, Proverbs 10, 12. Look at this with me. Short but profound. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Peter is addressing, believe it or not, the very real potential that people might have divisions among them and that the church of Christ might have divisions within itself and there might be strife within the body or the family of Christ. We know every family on this earth to one degree or another is dysfunctional. Jesus is not surprised that his church is dysfunctional. He doesn't give up on it. He calls us to love one another the way that Christ has loved us. So let me be practical. We have differing opinions. I'm confident on the topic of COVID. We have differing opinions on the topic of vaccines. We have differing opinions on the topic of social justice. We have differing opinions on the topic of the 2020 presidential election. Yeah. And yet Jesus has called us to something so much more important. The point here is the world, the flesh, the devil will constantly teach you to be angry and bitter and that you can't love people in Christ if you disagree with them. That's not what Jesus says, is it? Jesus says, because of my life, my death, and my resurrection, that you are my family. You are my body. So love one another even as you love me because I have loved you. 
And so, brothers and sisters, with Jesus at the center, we can lovingly disagree. We can lovingly together say, let's go to the Word and let's discern truth from error. Let's maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, says Scripture. My pastor growing up, uh, Dan Henley, used to tell a story uh, that I love and I'm going to share with you about a man who was despairing of his life and walked onto the Golden Gate Bridge intending to end it all. But it so happened that a preacher was on the bridge and saw the man just before he jumped. And this preacher yelled out to him, don't jump, and ran to his side. The preacher wasn't sure what to say, so he asked this despairing man, are you a Christian? The man said, why, yes, I am. Great, said the preacher. I am too. What denomination? The man said, I'm a Baptist. Wonderful, said the preacher. I am too. Are you a Northern Baptist or a Southern Baptist? The man said, Northern Baptist. Terrific, said the preacher. So am I. Isn't that amazing? Tell me, are you Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? The man said, Northern Conservative Baptist. Splendid, said the preacher. So am I. Now, would that be Northern Conservative Reform Baptist or Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist? He replied, I'm Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist. Remarkable, said the preacher. That's what I am too. Would you be Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region or Eastern District? Wow. He said, the suicidal man said, I am Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region. Wow, said the preacher. I too and Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region. This is truly amazing. But tell me, are you Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1872 or Council of 1912? The man said, I am Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. When the preacher heard this, he looked disgusted and said, 1912? die, heretic, and he pushed him off the bridge. (laughs) Oldie but a goodie. We're not going to push people off the bridge in our church. We're going to live love and forgiveness according to the greatness and the goodness of God's Word and maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We're going to love one another with a love that covers sin the way that Jesus has covered sin. Number three, be hospitable. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. In Peter's day, the church relied on one another greatly for hospitality, particularly when they would travel. Traveling believers did not stay in the Holiday Inn Express because it did not exist. And so if believers were coming into the area, they would need to stay with you. Believers did not have buildings to gather for worship on Sunday morning or throughout the week, and so they met in one another's homes, and they opened up their homes with hospitality for worship and community in the gospel. And if people needed things within the body of the church, they did not just hand them a gift card, because again, they didn't exist yet. They handed them, if you will, a key to their home and said, come and stay with me, come and live with me. That's real hospitality. And understand particularly in that culture, as it is today around the world in many places, to show Christian hospitality put you at risk because now you are marking yourself as well as a follower of Jesus. But let us consider the power of what happens when believers gather together in hospitality around a table. Discipleship, maybe evangelism, encouragement, comfort, counseling, 
relationship happens in a home together when hospitality is happening. And we want to be a church that when someone new walks through our doors on a Sunday morning, that as they're leaving those doors that we say, hey, would you like to come to my house for lunch today? That hospitality is growing, that anyone who shows up, that they immediately feel like they are welcomed into this family. We want to be a church where we wear out our couches and our couch cushions because so many people are sitting on them all the time. I'm okay if your house is not perfectly clean because you're spending so much time when people's dirty shoes are coming in and you are spending time together around the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter says, do it with joy and not with complaining. Well, how do I do that? Because it's a pain when people come over to my house. (laughs) Everything that I have is a gift from God. That's where it begins, right? God has given me everything that I have. And so with joy, all I'm doing is saying, what you have given to me, Lord Jesus, I just want to give it back to you by giving it to others. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. So out of thankfulness and out of joy, I want to give back to God and show hospitality to others. Because John 14, Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, then you better believe I'm coming back to get you, to bring you there, so that where I am, you can be with me as well. And because of what Jesus has done, I want to live that out as well. And Jesus didn't make it available for an overnight stay, and there's no checkout time. He has adopted us into his family. It's not just hospitality, it's family change. You can be a part of the family. And so out of that, we go, Lord Jesus, your people are my people now, Lord Jesus. My house is your house. My stuff is your stuff. And whatever I can do to show that same hospitality of Jesus, I want to do it because I want them to experience the gifts that I have been given as well. Fourth and finally, he concludes with the home run. Serve one another with the gifts you have been given. Serve one another with the gifts that you have been given. I want to reread these last two verses here in this passage, verse 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We have gifts to serve. Your ability to serve, the words that you speak, it is all a gift from God. Spiritual gifts is the phrase that we use from Scripture to describe different abilities that God gives. They are a gift of God's grace to you. We know from Scripture that every single believer is gifted with at least one spiritual gift. There are three different places in Scripture that give us the list, and they are not exhaustive, of gifts that God gives you in order to serve His people. And we're going to use them to serve one another in this local church that God has called us as well as worldwide. Thinking locally, every week that setup team comes. You guys come, you set up, and you tear down, and you guys serve joyfully, especially during the summer months when it is hot and sweaty, and it is a mess. Um, I try to, at the end of each church service, as you're getting the last couple things in the trailer, I will say to these guys, thank you for the ministry of muscle, because that really is what it is, that you're just willing to go out there and pick it up and lift it and move it. I appreciate it. 
Men, women, kids, anybody is welcome to serve on that team, by the way. Um, And in saying that, I love even more when I see our little, little kids who jump in and you see their faces light up when they go, uh, let me grab a cushion. And they grab one of these cushions and they carry it out to the trailer. They grab one of the little black carts and they, they lift up the handle and they tote that thing out there and they put it on the trailer and they are so proud of themselves. I love that. But we can learn a lot from our kids. How did they get into that situation? They said, can I And there it began. That's all it takes. A willing heart that says, can I help? Every single one of us, every human being created by God is created in his image. Yes, sin has messed with it, but we are created in God's image. And what you're seeing in our small children is that they are reflecting the chief servant when they say, can I be a little servant? We want them to connect those dots. We want them to see that Jesus has served them in a way that they could never repay. And out of that joy and thankfulness, they want to do the same thing. And their faces light up the ways ours can too when we get to serve. Mark 10, 45. Speaking of Jesus, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. One of the most profound explanations of this concept I've I've ever seen um, was by a man named Mr. Green, who is the director of a summer missions project in Chattanooga, Tennessee, called Hope for the Inner City. And I've taken a number of youth groups over the years to Mr. Green, and he will look at my whole team as he does every week of the entire summer, and he will say, God wants you here this week, and he wants to use you, and he wants to see you serve. And then he will give us an illustration to understand that. He said, every single one of you who is in Christ, who has experienced his grace, his mercy, his love, his truth, you are a sponge. The reality is every single person on the planet is a sponge. The question is, what's going into the sponge? But he says, you're a sponge. You have been soaking up God's, God's grace. You've been filled with his love and his mercy, mercy and his truth. And my job, our job this week, is we're going to take you little sponges and we're going to squeeze you out. We're going to find out what's in there. We're going to squeeze you out. And what's going to happen is this, is if you've been filled with God's grace, we're going to squeeze you out so that you can pour out God's love to others. And he made this very interesting point that always sticks with me. He said, what happens to a sponge that's filled with water if you don't squeeze it out? He said, it gets all sappy and funk and nasty. Romans 5.5 5 says that the love of God has been poured into us by the Holy Spirit. And what he's saying is we are poured into to pour out. We're poured into to pour out. If you lose that love must come from Jesus pouring into you, it becomes self-righteousness and legalism and works righteousness, and it doesn't work. If you lose the other end, though, where you just become a soppy, wet Christian, where you hear everything and you learn everything, but you're only sitting and you're not willing to serve, you will become a soppy, funk sponge. As he pours into you, by God's grace, as he pours into you, we are called to pour out into others. Peter's given us the schematic here. He says, don't freak out about the end, but rather recognize that in the end that there is an urgency and a passion and desire to care for one another in the church that it might lead others to come to know him. The power is his resurrection life, and by that, we can love one another. We can show hospitality to one another. We can pray for one another, and we can serve one another. Amen?